sound, sound guys had it perfect. Um, first announcement, I, I think most of you know this, but just in case you don't, but uh, Henry Stewin uh, passed away uh, earlier this week. So the, the service for him will be on Monday. Um, tomorrow there will be uh, a viewing for those who want it at North Mercer during town. I believe it runs from 2 to uh, 8 uh, or, or maybe 9. And then the family will be there greeting friends from uh, 6.30 to, to 8. Um, the services will be on Monday morning uh, at 10 a.m. There will be a grade 5 committal service out at the MD Cemetery and then at 11 o'clock have the memorial service here with a meal to follow. So we're all invited to that. Um, but yeah, just be praying for uh, the family as they uh, as they mourn the loss of Henry. Same with Henry. A couple of other announcements that, uh, that I do need to share. Uh, many of you also know um, Russ and Julie Smith. Russ is undergoing chemo. Uh, he's about one week down. I, I think it went okay. Uh, he has a few more weeks to go of you know, week on, two weeks off, week on, two weeks off, and, and five weeks of, of, of actual chemo. But um, if, you, if you'd be interested or willing to, to help out with some meals in the bulletin, there's some information for a website called takethemameal.com. It shows the list. You go on, you can see who's bringing what when, and you can sign up for certain days, and you can see what days are needed. And, you know, you sign up, and it'll send you an email reminder the day before, and, you know, you make sure you're not the first person to bring lasagna kind of thing. So if you'd be willing to, to help out with that. Also, Wednesday night has wrapped up. We had our last uh, Wednesday night program this this last week. It was fantastic. Uh, the place was packed. It was a lot of fun. Um, it was just a really, really great way to, to end the year. And uh, we have a lot of volunteers who have worked um, hard and long just kind of all throughout the year. And uh, we want to honor you and thank you. And so um, this Wednesday um, at, at our place, um, at our house, uh, for those of you that have been, been helping out with that, we want to have a just kind of a barbecue uh, type thing to say thank you and to just say we survived another year. Thank you, Jesus, right? And because uh, af after you, you do something, you know, uh, like that, it's I am a big fan of barbecue to just say made it wow you know and uh and if i could i'd just bring like you know four of those back rubbing masseuse people and they just kind of be spread all throughout the yard and just kind of be a free-for-all uh but that will not be available um but it'd be great if it was would it not so also you know coming out of that uh last wednesday night we had some representatives from timberlake here to share with the kids about uh, timberlake um we're big fans of the camp of the christian camp experience that can be so powerful uh, for kids, you know, to just have one week, fun time, lots of friends, uh, hearing about Jesus, you know, it's just a really great time. Uh, but we do recognize that for some, camp can be a little bit spendy, and so we're putting together scholarships to help out kids who might want to um, go, but, but where finances um, just might not be quite as available. So if you are interested in helping out with that, I think to sponsor a kid for a full week, I think is around 275. Um, call the office if either you are you'd be interesting in sponsoring a kid, um, or if or if you know of a kid who who could benefit from this, right? So just uh, call the office and we'll we'll get some of that uh, going. Um, other bulletin or other announcements in the bulletin. Uh, please do read those, but we'll we'll carry on with the service. So please join me in a word of prayer.
Heavenly Father, we, we praise you this morning. Lord, we thank you as a caring family for Mary and Joseph. Joseph's peace. His strength when he was doubting his family. Lord, show us how to comfort them. May we be brave in doing so. And Lord, for this morning, as we worship, as we learn, as we listen, God, we want to know you. That is, that is our heart's cry. We want to know you, Lord. Teach us about you today by your spirit, by your word. Teach us about you. We love you, Lord. Amen. Let's stand together and turn to page 166. Great is thy faithfulness.
Christian today is um, the Chicago Blue Bucks. They are in the Illinois Sports Arena today. Um, might be a little bit unique for some of you people. Um, who are the Buckwheat? Who's wearing the Buckwheat? Forgive 
let's have a time of prayer together, shall we? Heavenly Father, our minds go every time a person is going back through the feeling hole. I pray for that family this morning. confident that heaven is with you experiencing the fullness of life in a way that you have never experienced before and so for him we rejoice but for ourselves Still, still searching, still, still wondering where they are. May we pray for those who are, who are close to our hearts. May, may our prayer would be that they would grow closer to you. God, we acknowledge that we need more of you. I pray for our own
I've been waiting for two and a half years for John to bust out the horn. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Like, that just instantly put me in a great mood. When I, I, I think it was actually when I first came here, I knew a day like this would arrive. So I ordered a book. And I didn't know when, but I, I, I knew that the day would come. And so it's literally been sitting on my shelf for about two, two and a half years. And uh, just, just waiting, knowing that, that, that the day would come. And uh, this week as I was working on sermon prep and kind of looking through and the flow of the sermon and, you know, different points and, you know, kind of what's the point and how do we struggle with this text? And, and then I just had this moment. I was like, oh, oh, could, could this be the week? Like, is this, I don't know, you know? And I legitimately, like, wrestled with this for several days. I was like, oh, man, I, I talked to Joanne about it. I was like, should I do it this? Because I only really get one chance at this, and I mean, should I not? Or, you know, is this wise? And, and that kind of thing. And, and uh, yeah, so, so I finally agreed to do it. So today is the day that, um, that I read to you Dr. Seuss. All right? Pay attention. I thought about, like, putting it up up on here and that kind of thing, but um, I didn't. So hopefully you can just kind of follow along. Okay. I should have brought up a little chair. Said Conrad Cornelius O'Donnell O'Dell, my very young friend who is learning to spell. The A is for ape and the B is for bear. The C is for camel and the H is for hare. The M is for mouse and the R is for rat. I know all the 26 letters like that. Through to Z is for zebra. I know them all well, said Conrad Cornelius O'Donnell O'Dell. So now I know everything anyone knows from beginning to end, from the start to the close, because Z is as far as the alphabet goes. Incidentally, in Canada, this book doesn't work because they pronounce it Z. It just it doesn't rhyme. <laughs> then he almost fell flat on the f- uh, fat on his face on the floor when I picked up the chalk and drew one letter more, a letter he had never had dreamed of before. And I said, you can stop if you want with the Z because most people stop with the Z, but not me. The places I go and the things that I see that I never could spell if I stopped with the Z. I'm telling you this because you're one of my friends. My alphabet starts where your alphabet ends. My alphabet starts with a letter called Yuz. It's the letter I use to spell Yuzumatuz. You'll be sort of surprised what there is to be found once you go on beyond Z and start poking around. So on beyond Zebra, explore. Like Columbus, discover new letters. Like Wum is for Wumbus. My high-spouting whale who lives high on a hill and who never comes down till it's time to refill. So on beyond Z, it's high time you were shown that you really don't know all there is to be known. Then just step a step further past Wum is for Wumbus, and you'll find Um, and the Um is for Umbus, a sort of cow with one head and one tail, but to milk this great cow, you'll need more than one tail. She has 98 faucets that give milk quite nicely, perhaps 99, I forget just precisely. And boy, she is something most people don't see because most people stop at the Z, but not me. I ramble, I scruff through swamp and through swamp where the letters get better, letters like hump. There's a real handy letter. What's handy about it? 
you just can't spell humpa humpa dumpa without it. If you stay home with zebra, you're stuck in a rut. But on beyond zebra, you're anything but. Why, I know a fine, fancy letter called fuddle. I use it to spell Miss Fuddle Do Fuddle. And oh, what a bird of a bird of a bird of. Her tail is the longest that's ever been heard of. So long and so fancy she'd be in a fix if she didn't have helpers. It takes about six to tag along hoisting Miss Fuddle Do Fuddle's wonderful tail out of these muddle do puddles. And Glick is for Glicker who lives in wild weeds and spends his time juggling fresh cinnamon seeds, which he is usually able to find in great number, excepting, of course, in the month of September, when cinnamon seeds aren't around in great number, so that month he jungles with the seeds of a cucumber. And Na is the letter I use to spell nutches who live in small caves known as niches for hutches. These nutches have troubles, the biggest of which is the fact that there are many more nutches than niches. Uh, each nutch in a niche knows that some other nutch would like to move into his niche very much. So each nutch in a niche has to watch that small niche or nutches who haven't got niches will tumble. Then we go on to Snee, and Snee is uh, for Sneedle, a terrible kind of ferocious mosquito whose humdinger stinger is as sharp as a needle. This Sneedle's too tough to be killed with a smack, so he has to be hunted on elephant's back. And your eyes and the elephants have to be keen, and you have to aim fast, and you have to hit clean. And the bullet you shoot is a stale navy bean that you've dunked for three weeks in old sour kerosene, which is awfully hard work, so it's easy to see why most people stop at the Z, but not me. When you go on beyond zebra, who knows? There's no telling what wonderful things you might find yourself spelling. Like Quan is for Quandary, who lives on a shelf in a hole in the ocean alone by himself. And he worries each day from dawn's early light, and he worries, just worries, far into the night. He just stands there and worries. He simply can't stop. Is his top side his bottom, or his bottom side top? And Snad is for Snatters, and oh, they are sad. Oh, the big one, you see, has the smaller one for Shadow. The shadow the small Fadner has should be his. I don't understand it, but that's how it is. A terrible mix-up in Shadow, he is. Skip a few digits down. And high is my letter for high gargle orum for getting me places real fast. I'm all for them. They puffle along and their brakes never squeak and they run every hour, every day of the week. From the town of North Nub to the town of East Ounce, making stops at West Buggerfield, Yupster and Jounce, and at Ipswich and Nipswich and also Southbound and other small towns, but too hard to pronounce. Ah, the places I took him. I tried hard to tell young Conrad Cornelius O'Donnell Dodell a few brand new wonderful words he might spell. I led him around and I tried hard to show there are things beyond Z that most people don't know. I took him past Zebra as far as I could and I think perhaps I did him some good. But finally he said, this is really great stuff and I guess the old alphabet isn't enough. Now, the letters he uses are something to see. Most people stop at the Z, but not he. Two and a half years I've spent on this letter. If it makes you feel any better, uh, I read that to Trekkers all the time in the, in the opening day. Uh, my coworker first showed up, and he's like, I want to use this, this book as an intro. And I was like, are you crazy? 
and then he used it, and I was like, that's brilliant. We're doing that again. And, um, you know, you'd have these, these young adults showing up thinking they were hot stuff, and the first thing they did was, was drew them back to sleep. Today we're in John 15. Uh, we've been doing a, a series on the I am statements that Jesus makes. John records seven of these I am statements. Uh, eight, if you include the comment, before Abraham was, I am, which some say that actually that sentence is really at the heart of, of the book of John. Um, as a reminder, the book of John is not chronological. It is range topical. And so if you try to read through the book of John, uh, expecting kind of a, an event-by-event event play on Jesus' life, it gets a little bit confusing because it won't line up with the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are, are arranged chronological, uh, but John is not. He, he arranged it in such a way where he was trying to emphasize certain things. Um, but so anyways, thi- this is, um, I think we'll probably end with this one, with, with this I am statement in John. And um, the first part of John 15 has all kinds of, of great concepts. Uh, they're, they're really easy, really, to understand. He, he's, you know, he says things like, I am the true vine. Uh, abide in me, and I in you. Whoever abides in me bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But this is the key concept that, that I want you guys to understand today. So if you only write down one thing, th- this is the thing you write down. Is that you don't produce more fruit by straining harder. You produce more fruit by being better connected to the vine. Hear it again. You do not produce more fruit by straining harder. You produce more fruit by being better connected to the vine. Uh, You know, as an example, um, and and you have seen people like this as well too, right? Um, But, you know, I I can think of certain examples of men and women uh, where they, you know, they speak to, to a group or that kind of thing. And it's just, it's powerful, right? And people cry and they repent and they turn to Jesus and they confess sins and they give their life to Jesus. And it's just this kind of amazing, powerful stuff. And yet, if you look at the transcript of their words, like if you just had a printoff of the words they said, really not that brilliant. Like just really not that good. And it's, and it's because there, there's some kind of anointing or, or power or, or something just, just that, that the Holy Spirit is involved and, and he puts power in those words because these are people who walk close to Jesus. They are fruitful because they have a history of abiding in Jesus. I've not done this personally, but apparently if you, same thing with Billy Graham. If, if you take a transcript of Billy Graham's talk and you just kind of analyze it, it's really not that good. Like, apparently, on paper, the guy isn't that great at, like, writing sermons, drafting sermons, that kind of thing. And yet, how many thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, you know, have given their lives to Jesus, you know, been, been impacted by the gospel because of the words spoken by, by Billy Graham? You know, the man just, he walks close to Jesus. I remember... Um, Randy, one of the guys, uh, you know, he was general director, and he talked about meeting this, like, I hope the guy's not listening, but, I mean, it was, it was just, like, this toothless tribal guy with, like, a fourth-grade education, and, and Randy really kind of wasn't paying attention. And then he found out that this guy in the last few years had led, like, 200 and some people to the Lord. And he's planted a couple churches. 
Let me just remark it, right? And, you know, and, and or how many of you have met, you know, some kind of inner city teenage kid with bad hygiene, and yet you watch them worship, and you're like, I need to learn how to get my worship. Or, or you know, some uh, some grandpa, some grandma, never been to Bible school, never been to seminary, and yet they sit down and for several hours they teach you stuff out of Scripture that you just didn't even know was there. Or those people where, you know, you just have this question and you can't figure it out and you've studied and looked and, you know, you just kind of throw it out there. And they just speak a paragraph of insight that just boggles your mind. I mean, how do these people do that? Right? These are people who walk close to Jesus. These are people who have a history of abiding in Jesus. And because they abide in Jesus, there is great fruitfulness in their lives. At Trek, one of our favorite lines was, your ministry is the direct outflow of your relationship with Jesus. Same concept worded differently, right? But just this idea that your ministry, or even really just your effectiveness, right, of your attempted ministry is the direct outflow of a relationship. I mean, it's just, it's kind of a timeless message that, that applies to all of us. I'm going to, I want to read John 15. I'm going to go verses 1 through 11. As I read, I want you to listen for two words. I want you to listen for the word abide, and I want you to listen for the word fruit, okay? I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that that my joy may be in you and that uh, your joy may be full. To grow in faithfulness requires that, that we abide in Christ. And if you want to be more fruitful, you have to be better connected to the vine. So why did I read Dr. Seuss? Like, like why, why the Envion Zebra, why did I just read that? The reason is because I think that the primary reason why a lot of us don't abide like we should is because we've got this little voice in our head that says, you know, I don't know what I need to know. Frankly, the other stuff looks kind of boring. It would never happen to me. So I'm just, I'm content with the letters that I have. Someone taught us the ABCs of Christianity 
God loves me, Jesus loves lots of people, salvation, uh, something about the Holy Spirit, I, you know, it's, uh, and then some other blah, blah, blah. I know, I know the ABCs, there's some other letters that crazy people talk about, and the letter stops with Z, so we're all good. I, I've surveyed the landscape, the rest of the stuff looks boring, I'm good with what I have. You think we, we, we don't abide like we should because we've lost our sense of excitement and adventure about what lies just outside our understanding? We, I remember in college, uh, our, one of our professors had this great illustration, and I, I, I'm not going to do it this morning, probably to explain it to you, uh, but how the illustration, he had a balloon, and what he said is, uh, you know, assume that all the air, okay, in this room represents all, all knowledge, right? God's level of infinite knowledge is, is all the knowledge, okay? And, and the air in the balloon is what you know. Okay, when there's not a lot of air in the, in the balloon, right, it's, you know, there's, there's just not a lot of air. But, but, but that intersection, kind of sort of the, the rubber lining of the balloon, that intersection of what you don't know and what you do know, that is where your questions lie. And then you would start to blow up the balloon, right? Symbolizing more, you know, you begin to learn more and more and the balloon begins to expand. But what happens is that it, as that balloon begins to expand, that intersection between what is known and what is not known, or kind of that rubber surface area of the balloon, begins to grow in volume, meaning your questions start to grow, right? So basically, when you don't know anything, you know, when the balloon is small, there's very small interaction, so you have very few questions, right? You know, they're just, what? Like, how hard can it be? You know, like, I know four things about it. It looks pretty simple. And then as you get further and further and further into it, as you begin to learn more and more and more, that intersection between what you don't know and what you don't know grows, and then your questions just begin to grow exponentially, right? Be much better if I had a balloon, wouldn't you? But then he'd blow it until it exploded, and it wasn't even easy then. I, you, you've probably heard me say this before, but, but I do have two strong convictions, or at least if you've been here for a while, you've, you've probably heard this. But, but, but just this firm belief that some part of my understanding of, of God is incomplete or wrong. And some part of your understanding of God is incomplete or wrong. Because the human mind will never wrap itself around God. God is always bigger than the human mind has capacity for. And, and, and so we understand bits and, and, and pieces, and, and different people seem to understand different parts better, but no human mind will actually ever encompass itself all the way uh, around God, right? God is infinite. He is eternal. He is all-present. He is all-knowing. We are finite. We are temporal. We are created. And secondly, that if I learn something today about God or about Christian living or, or what it means to live a Christ-centered life, if I learn it today, that means yesterday, in some capacity, I was either ignorant or I was wrong, right? My learning today proves my ignorance of yesterday. My learning of today proves my ignorance of yesterday. So there will always be some part of, in my mind, in my understanding about God, that will be incomplete, or just outright wrong. And I think that's true for all of us, for, for all humans, right? It's 
is why there's such value in, in, in learning about God together, um, because we can each bring a piece of understanding. You don't produce more fruit by straining harder. You produce more fruit by being better connected to the vine. So the goal is fruit, and lots of it, right? Uh, uh, the term fruit is obviously a metaphor. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we've been tracking on that so far. Fruit is a metaphor. Uh, so let's clarify what we mean by fruit. You know, the immediate passage gives us some things on fruit. Um, out of the immediate passage, we see that to be fruitful is to love one another, uh, to obey his commandments, to understand his truths, uh, to remain in his love, to produce fruit that remains or lasts a long time. That, that's one of the expectations we, we see a little bit longer. I, I didn't read it today. It's a few verses later, but fruit that remains. Uh, to be fruitful is to be full of joy. Twice he links fruitfulness to prayer or, or to intercession, asking God for different stuff. And so we, we can kind of do one of two things with that. One is we take a reductionist view and we say that, you know, fruitful can be boiled down in just to those things, right? Those are the things that are mentioned in this passage. That's all that, that we get to talk about. Or we take more of an expansionist view and we say scripture is full of what it means to be fruitful as a Christian. And so these are just some examples. And I think that's what we're dealing with here is that, you know, Scripture has all kinds of stuff on what does it mean to be fruitful. And in this passage, he gives us some examples. But, but I would summarize it like this is that, that to be fruitful or fruit is anything that helps you grow in Christ-like character or helps you expand the kingdom of God. We, we talk about redefining the word blessed, you know, and, and how we use it to talk about Whatever, quasi-functional family and nice cars, right? But I would say blessed is anything that helps you grow in Christ-like character. Blessed is anything that follows you into heaven. That, w- that we reserve the word blessed for, for the things that are eternal. When, when, when the eternal things grow, that is a blessing. So when Jesus talks about fruit, I, I think we're talking about anything that helps you grow in Christ-like character, anything that helps you expand the, the, the kingdom of God. This morning we talked about discipleship. We could use that as well, too. To be fruitful is anything that helps you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to help you make disciples of Jesus Christ. You mentor someone, fruitfulness. You help others worship, fruitfulness. You lead someone to Christ, fruitfulness. You teach your kid about Jesus, fruitfulness. You lead family devotions. You become more patient, more forgiving, more full of grace. Uh, You start a new ministry. You see lives changed. Fruitfulness. You teach Sunday school. Fruitfulness. You show love to a neighbor. Little sister jerk. Fruitfulness. You work for unity within the church. Fruitfulness. And fruitfulness, according to this passage, says two things. All those things say do two things. It proves that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, and it brings glory to God. Fruitfulness will always prove that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, and it will always bring glory to God. So fruitful is where we want to get to, right? That's the end goal. Our desire is to be fruitful, right? That's what we've been talking about. We want to be fruitful. How do you get to fruitful? Well, that's where the word abide comes in. I didn't count, but abide happens a lot. This concept of remaining in the vine. Um, What does abide look like? Abide is tied with this idea of to remain, to wait for, to lodge with, to live with, um, to endure, to stay, 
what was interesting, though, is that it kind of built into this word, though, in, in this word of abide, is that you are the guest and someone else is the kind of the homeowner. For you to abide is for you to receive the hospitality of another. Kind of tied in with this meaning that, right, you, you don't necessarily, it, it's not that you would abide in your own house, but rather that you would abide in someone else's house. And so we're, we're receiving hospitality. So at its core, to abide with Christ is to remain, to linger, to stay, uh, to not wander off, to not face other teachings, other gods, but to stay and build a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is an intensely uh, relational concept, an intensely relational verb, the, 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 the verb to abide. So what is it that builds your affection toward God? What is it that builds your affection toward Jesus, towards the Holy Spirit? And just, you know, over this next week or two, just kind of think through this and, ta- and, and pay attention. You know, what is it that stirs my affections for and what is it that distracts me from? Uh, what music do you listen to? What friends do you hang out with? Uh, uh, a TV. I would say that scripture and prayer are mandatory. All right? We can't really get away from those, right? We have to have those. But aside from that, it really seems like abiding can get pretty intensely personal, and so it's just all over the map on what works for you, right? You, you can't really cookie-cutter abiding, right? They're, they're, they're the foundational scripture, prayer, that kind of thing. For me, um, I love uh, meeting with people, I- interacting with, with people where there's just a lot that I can, can learn from. Um, certain teaching environments I, I love. I love podcasts. Uh, when it comes to scripture, I used to prefer the Old Testament stories of people, kind of the biographies. Those were my favorite. Now I'm kind of shifting to more uh, New Testament letters. Certain friends, certain conversations uh, stimulate my love for Jesus and his kingdom. And it's not be, it was interesting, I was thinking about this. It's not because those friends are like super Christians. It's simply just that our personalities resonate, right? I mean, we just, we can just kind of feed off of each other. Or, or we just have a history of having these kinds of conversations. Certain worship settings. When I'm really into worship, I will often, and this sounds sterile, I hope some of you do it too, being here next week. But when I'm really into worship, I close my eyes because that gives me kind of this false sense of privacy. And when I have that, that sense of privacy, I'm more free in my bodily expression. Right? So when I'm really into worship, I close my eyes to just, because I, I'm, I'm enjoying that, and I know it's a false sense of privacy, but just that false sense of privacy that, that it's just me and God. And there are areas that I need improvement. There's lots of stuff I could do better that I don't do. Fasting, memorization, better times of reflection. Uh, I, I have issues. But our, in our important relationships, we make time to figure out what builds that relationship. True? In our important relationships, we make time to figure out what builds that relationship. Any relationship of value, we experiment, we explore, we test, we try, we fail, we get it wrong, we try again. But there's this persistent willingness to, to try and fail and, and to keep going. In our important relationships, we make time to figure out what builds relationships. I took my daughter to Cabela's to buy. It didn't work so well. I took her to Pizza Hut for breadsticks, home run, right? 
we're doing Pizza Hut again. That works, okay? Holding out hope for Cabela's, but I'll take breadsticks, okay? Cheaper anyway. You just, you just experiment, and you try to figure out what works. I think the other thing, too, when, when it comes to, to, to building uh, relationships and, and abiding, to being better connected to, to the vine, is that for some of us, it just, we just kind of have poor habits. And, um, and I shared this with some of you in a meeting. I listened to some fascinating stuff on habits, on the formation of habits. And, um, you know, all of us desire certain habits, and, and then they don't happen, and then we get bit mad at ourselves. Uh, but it, someone had literally written an entire book researching habits, and it's very fascinating. Every habit has three parts. There's the cue, or, or kind of the stimuli that, that triggers the habit. There's the habit itself, and then there's always some kind of reward. And our minds actually like habits and gravitate towards habits because when we have a habit or a routine down, it's less work for the mind, right? You ever drive somewhere and you zone out, and then when you come to, you're there, right? You ever start driving to one location, and then you end up like you drove home accidentally, but you needed to go to the grocery store, right? These are habits, right, where the mind can kind of work less and just kind of go into default mode. What was interesting as they were talking about habits, though, there, there, there were two things I would share with you. One is that in the formation of a new habit, really to be effective, you have to find some way to reward yourself. And, you know, and so if you want to run more and you love chocolate, then in the formation of that habit, like go for a run and then eat a piece of chocolate, right? You but, it, you know, if you say, well, I want to run in the morning, so you run in the morning and then that makes you late for school and taking the kids and breakfast, you're actually punishing yourself for that habit, not rewarding yourself for that habit, right? So you really have to look at, at, at kind of the reward. The other thing, too, is that oftentimes we want the value of doing that habit to be the reward for that habit. I want to go on a run and I just, I want to run because I love running, but I hate running. But if I can just force myself to love the run, then, then I will run. And so I hate it, but I'm going to do it and try to force myself to love. No, that, that never works, okay? Right? Just buy yourself a box of chocolate bars. Do the run. Eat the chocolate bar. And maybe eventually you will get a, come to a spot where you love the run for the sake of the run. But in the formation of a habit, almost every time just the love of doing the habit is not enough to keep it going. So if there's some part of your life where you need better habits, <laughs> buy chocolate, you know, or, or whatever it is that works for you, and do that as, as a way of, of rewarding yourself to, to help get that, uh, that habit going. Learning to abide is intensely personal. Remember, the, the goal of this is fruit, and it's fruitfulness. But how we get there is abiding. I know that scripture is required. I know that listening prayer is required. Beyond that, it's intensely personal. I can give you ideas. I cannot give you a roadmap. That is one of those things you just got to figure out on your own. It's just, right? For the relationships we value, each one is unique to simply figure it out. This will likely uh, involve new habits. This will likely involve repentance from sin. Uh, it may include suffering. One of the first lines in here is talking about how God the Father came, 
branches that produce more fruit. You know, sometimes suffering is a result of sin, and so we fight hard against it. Sometimes suffering is the grace of God in your life. Sometimes it's the discipline of God in your life. And really, actually, those feel the same thing when you think about it. It's always good to know this suffering. Is God teaching me? Will I receive it? Or is this a result of sin, my sin, someone else's sin, or oppressive bosses? But learning to abide, figuring out how to invest in this relationship will be one of the coolest adventures you have ever known. May you abide. May you be fruitful. Uh, May you prove yourself to be a disciple of Jesus. May you bring glory to God. May you be better connected to the vine. And may you realize that there is a whole wonderful world on beyond Sunday. Amen. Heavenly Father, it is our desire to abide in Jesus. Lord, we want to be fruitful. We want to prove to you, to others, that we are your disciple. We want to bring glory to you. But the path of that is, is to abide in Jesus, and that's, that's personal. But it is a relationship we value, Lord, and so we commit ourselves to investing in that relationship and just trial and error, figuring out what works for us. And when we figure out what works for us, to just go for it. God, I pray that for each person here, that throughout the the next two weeks, that that you would be giving them uh, incredible clarity into insight into what works for them. And Lord, if it doesn't work, that's okay. We find a different way. Lord, we desire you. We desire more of you. We want more of you in our life. God, may we love you for you and not just the stuff that, that you do. Let's stand together and we'll sing a song.